Quick question. Can your supervisors communicate, solve conflicts, lead with confidence? Anyone promoted from operations to management will tell you that the soft skills are the hard skills. That's why we created a program for technically minded folks to learn the right tools for today's leadership challenges. Tools like reading employee emotions, setting workplace goals, and communicating with a diverse workforce. Hungry for more? Get the details at shiftworkplace.co slash supervisory leadership training. That's shiftworkplace.co slash supervisory leadership training. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. I am really excited to bring to you today Raphael Adigboye, who hails from Nigeria and has been working in four different continents. He is a risk manager and senior manager in global risk management with Scotiabank. Raphael is an experienced business and risk professional with 20 years of work and experience across Africa, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. And he intends to travel to Micronesia when the pandemic is over. With core strength in risk management, strategic leadership, and financial analysis, Raphael is a problem solver and a strategic thinker who gets the job done and has a positive attitude. He started his life in Lagos, Nigeria, and has been privileged to work across many countries, including Ghana, Kenya, Morocco, Germany, Qatar, Canada, and the U.S. Last 10 years, he's been working in the Canadian financial services industry and has key responsibilities in credit risk adjudication, asset-based lending, inventory, and dealer financing across multiple industries and with multiple banks. He is a believer in the limitless potential of every human being and a resourceful leader who has been credited with successfully working with diverse and cross-functional teams. He has a bachelor's degree from Nigeria and a master's degree from Germany, and he volunteers, writes, and motivates others to fulfill their purpose. Two of his books have been published on Amazon. Raphael, welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Thank you very much, Mary, for having me. I thank you for that um, wonderful introduction. Again, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be on your podcast, Mary. Well, thank you for taking the time to be there for our listeners. I'm wondering if that was just the formal bio, but can you... Take a moment to tell the audience a little bit about who you are personally. Yeah, I think the bio, um, uh, I mean, said a lot about who I am. I'm Raphael Adebouye. I'm a leader, a strategist, and um, an agricultural finance professional. My childhood was in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, Nigeria being in Africa, West Africa. Born into a family of eight, including my dad and my mom, six kids, um, three girls and three boys, you know, like with every young person. Uh, had a lot of aspirations in terms of what I wanted to be in the future. Um, coming from Nigeria, with Nigeria being an oil-producing country, I wanted to be a chemical engineer. That was my plan. Unfortunately, that didn't pan out. I ended up studying agriculture. Today, I'm passionate about agriculture. I'm passionate about supporting agricultural producers across the uh, across the country in Canada. Uh, I love what I do. To the point you mentioned earlier on, Mary, I am married. I have three beautiful girls. I love to read, to write, to support people around me. And I am currently working with um, Bank. Thank you. That's great. I'm really interested in people who want to promote agriculture because it's the backbone of every country. And if the country doesn't learn how to capture and envision and think about the future of its agricultural industry, it's hooped. Where is the food going to come from if uh, supply chains break down or transportation breaks down? You have to have your own food in your own country, right? And then value added from there. So I'm really keen on that. How did you get interested in agriculture? Um, I mean, it's always been, uh, you know, it started as um, a childhood hobby, planting around the neighborhood, having gardens, raising chicken and just supporting each other, you know, as we were growing up. So like I said, my passion was to get into college to study chemical engineering. Interestingly, I was not given that course because it's not so much like North America or the rest of the world where you actually went in for what you wanted. You could choose a course. Uh, you may not get that cross. You may be given a different one. So I was given um, agricultural animal science. Uh, I mean, initially, I didn't want to go in. I, I thought it wasn't anything close to what I wanted to do. But down the line with motivation from my mom and dad, I went in. And today, I am glad I didn't go back on that decision. You know, that reminds me, three careers ago, I was helping teachers, you know, they were doing their initial practicums, and I was helping them to work in the practicum. And that was one of my roles at the university where I was working. And there was a phys ed specialist who had applied to 
work in a school to do his practicum at the upper levels with really high-level athletes in high school. And he ended up being put in a school where he had to teach grade one. And he was really upset about it. But what happened was he learned so much about how to give instructions, how to engage people, how to be sensitive to people's emotions, that he became the best phys ed teacher ever and the best coach ever. I think he's even a coach of a national sports team at this point. And he credits that to having been put into an experience that he didn't want, but which really taught him a lot. Sounds like that's what happened to you too. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think um, just, uh, I, I'm glad you shared that story. My understanding from my personal experience is that I, I later got to understand the aspect of our humanity that's important for us to know that we all evolve and there are faces in our lives that we, we think we know it all. But as we allow ourselves the opportunity to learn, to take calculated risk and to also rely on others around us who may be more experienced in, in specific aspects of life. I think eventually we discover that we could be better, we could make better decisions, and we could impact our world in much better ways. Mm -hmm. Being open to the experience of what seems to be a roadblock can actually open up new opportunities. Absolutely, Mary. Absolutely. So how did you move from that into financial services and the specializations that you have now? Yeah, I mean, so first degree from Nigeria, second degree from Germany, and done a few things here and there, business development, did some other courses um, in sales and marketing. If you grew up in Nigeria with all the challenges that are still there today, you build certain skills, certain uh, ideologies around how you um, you just have to survive given the, uh, given the challenges that you may find yourself in. So, I mean, I was done my master's from um, University of Bonn in Germany. I got married shortly after that, and we were here in Canada. I've not always loved working for financial institutions, but here I am, new in Canada over 11 years ago, trying to find a job, and I was thinking of what I could do. And the aspect of agriculture, which is the green color, kept coming to me. And one way or the other, I found myself walking into a TD Bank branch in London, Ontario, with my CV in my hand saying I, I needed a job. You have to think of it, what could someone with a master's in agriculture and resource management do with a bank? That was what I was thinking in my mind. So eventually, it, it all worked out in a way that I got hired for the role of a customer service representative. When you think of those you would meet in the bank, those who would help you to pay your bills and, and address your banking needs. That was the initial job I got. So that was how my agricultural experience and degrees ended up bringing me to the financial world. Six months into that customer service role, I later discovered that TD Bank has a division within the entire bank that deals with agricultural financing. And fortunately for me, I got into that program and the rest is um, history today. Hmm, interesting. Well, there's always a map. <laughs> Maybe you don't see it, but then you can look back on it and say, yep, that was a map. And that's, that's the journey that I took. So I'm going to ask you if you could share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you believe made you into the person you are today. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like I said, uh, with other five siblings, it was tough. It was really challenging. Uh, my dad and my mom, they, they did all they could to support us. But it, it just felt as if every day, every month, every week, what they could provide was just not enough. So through all that experience and through our collective challenges as a family, through the days that we laughed and cried together, through the good, the bad, the ugly days, as well as through those days that you just were not sure when your next meal or where your next meal was coming from, uh, you learned the power of hope, you learned the power of collaboration, you learned resilience, you learned the need for hard work, and uh, you evolve. You came to the point where you just told yourself that it's either you sink or you swim. And today, when I look back into my life, I look at those childhood experiences, those family situations, they, they've all come together in a way that have made me to know that life is not about uh, what you do not have. Life is about what you make out of what you have. You know, my dad and my mom, they did all they could and they made sure in spite of all their financial challenges and all the environmental challenges within the nation, then they made sure, particularly my mom, uh, made sure that we all, all six of us, we had minimum high school certificates. And today, I mean, I have, I have my second degree 
with my high on my third degree. So you have to imagine growing up under that environment and, and all the good uh, qualities that eventually you you you, you could come out uh, with out of such kind of, of an environment. So today, I'm somebody who lives with hope, somebody who collaborates well, somebody who is resilient, and somebody who is very hardworking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your mother had very strongly the value of education for her children and made sure that that happened. And when mothers do that, the next generation moves forward exponentially. But can you think of a more specific incident? That's general, but something specific, uh, actual incident that happened during your childhood that was that marked you? Yeah, you know, like I said, growing up, well, I had a lot of challenges. And um, Can you name one of them? One of them, like I, 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 I was, I think it was in my second grade. I was a brilliant kid and I would always come top of the class. I think in my second grade, was it my second or third grade? Uh, I had a, had a situation where rather than come first or second, which usually were my trademark, I think I would have come, uh, I, I ended up being the fifth or the sixth in the class. It, it wasn't uh, what I felt really happy about. I felt I was, I, I, I betrayed myself. I felt I, I, I didn't measure up to what I, I've always been. So th- that was a defining moment in my life in terms of sitting down with myself uh, as young as I was then, asking myself what went wrong, what could I have done differently? And I think that experience till today, it, it's always been an opportunity for me when things don't go the way I, I expect, when things don't go the way I, I set out for them to go, I always have that privilege of coming back to myself. Is there something I could have done differently? Is there something I didn't do that I should have done? So I think that particular experience has helped me uh, up until this present time. Mm-hmm. That capacity to self-reflect and to set a goal for yourself at such a young age, at age seven or eight, that's pretty good. Most children don't have that sense of who they are uh, reflectively at that age. What about when you became older, like um, an adolescent or in your young adulthood? What's another incident that would have marked your leadership development and your sense of who you were? Uh, I could also remember a, a specific incidents while I was in the university. Uh, like I said, I, I, I grew up by, by privilege being, uh, or by, by just the grace of God, being somebody who is brilliant. Uh, in my third year, I think it was in my third year in university, I've never failed any course in my life. I have always at least passed either as one of the top in the class in my third year in the university, there was this specific course, which we did. It was, uh, I could remember very well, it was something on pathology, which is um, study of diseases and all that. And I knew I did all I should have done. I, I, I put in all the effort, put in all the energy. But when the result came out, I was given uh, F, which completely devastated me. I, I, that was the first time in my life I got the, the grade F. And as if that was not enough. There was one other course we also did, which was, I think, uh, agricultural economics. I also made sure, like, uh, at least to a reasonable extent, uh, I wasn't so much for an individual that loves graphs and, and all, the, all the supply and demand uh, type of study, but I, I still put in my best. So this other course too, which, like I said, agricultural economics, I ended up getting F in that particular course too. So two Fs out of, I think, uh, for that specific semester, I would have done seven courses. So having two Fs and knowing that I could almost have an extra year in the university if I don't make up for those failed courses, it it was a defining moment in my life too. Uh, I think one of the things I learned from that experience was that sometimes in life you could put in your best or you could try as much as you can. Things happen and when they happen, you don't let them define you. You still have to pick up yourself and make necessary changes, make necessary amendments, and move on with life. So with these two courses, I ended up doing them later, uh, and I, I was fortunate to to pass pass both both courses, and I didn't have to spend an extra year in the university. So that particular experience of failing two courses in one single semester was a defining moment for me uh, in in my university years. You know, when things come easily to you, it's a big blow to the ego when 
something doesn't turn out to be, it's not that it's totally easy. I know you put the work into it, but when you understand things quickly and you're able to apply them and you're able to succeed within the school system, it can be really a blow to your sense of self to receive a, a mark that's not what you thought you should be getting. And um, the opposite experience can also happen. I remember once I had a student who had a lot of challenges learning, and she came to me one time when she got 56 on a test out of 100, and she was ecstatic. And she said to me, that's the highest mark I've ever gotten. I'm really getting better at school now. And there was a boy in the class who was really capable, but didn't put much effort in and didn't care what happened. And yet she worked steadily and hard. And she was so proud of every little step that she made. And to me, it's really interesting to see the three. You know, you've got the people who do really well. And then one failure stands out so strongly that it really affects them. The people who have the talent and don't put any effort into developing it. And then the people who really don't have much to work with and they work so hard. Does that make you think of anything? Oh, yeah, clearly. And I think, uh, I mean, the example you just gave spoke to the diversity of our world. Wherever you turn, there is just a lot to think of about how the world we live in today has a lot for each of us to learn from. I mean, to the example you gave, somebody who, a student who was called 56 and, and felt this is an improvement. I mean, to somebody else, this is a cause for concern. So it, it all depends on where we all are in our journey. It depends on where we want to get to. But more importantly, wherever we are in life, we should understand that others are also trying to get somewhere. And we should, if we can, encourage them or offer support as we may be able to, knowing that nobody is there yet. We all are on a journey and everybody's trying to get to certain or specific points in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think if I were an employer hiring any of those three 14-year-old youth at that age, I would have picked the one with the 56% because she had such a good attitude and such a good work ethic. I would have picked her as an employee. And second, I would have picked the one with the highest marks. And I would not have picked the one who didn't put any effort in at all. (laughs) So that's probably cultural too, because uh, when Canadian employers are looking for people to hire, they look more to their experience and their past record than to their credentials. Was that a shock to you when you came from Nigeria? To some extent. Um, I mean, the, the Nigerian environment is one where experience matters, but there is strong push for a lot of academic and, and professional qualifications. Uh, you find people who are employees who are already working and they are jumping from one program to another. They are using it as a leverage for being paid more or um, securing a different job. But one thing I found coming to Canada was the fact that there is less emphasis placed on more and more academic degree, but emphasis there is more on being able to get the job done, the experience and how long you've been able to do it. Because one thing with experience is it speaks to all the different uh, challenges you would have faced coming this far. It speaks to all the good, the bad days and, 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 you know, not just the academic degree that one has, the opportunity to be in class and, you know, whatever is learned has to be put to you. So the experience aspect, which is considered more valuable uh, in the Canadian environment, uh, I found that that was, uh, that was initially a surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Because you were hired at a low-level job in a bank, but you then had opportunities because of that. You were inside the bank culture. And you, you had the opportunities that were offered internally became more visible to you. So you're able to take advantage of those and eventually move closer into the realm of what you were good at and what you had training for and education and thinking skills for. But I think it would have been, I'm just guessing, but I'm thinking it would have been a real shock to the system to go, you know, here I am, I've got a job, good, but it's not really commensurate with my credentials. I, I knew that. I could not just superimpose my international experience or my academic degree into the Canadian uh, workforce. I knew there was a road I needed to walk on. And whatever it was for me, I was willing and ready to pay the price. And I, I could recall when I got the job for of the customer service rep, my manager knew I had a master's degree and she was willing to work with me if there was any other opportunity within the bank that I could take advantage of down the line. So sometimes we just have to be honest with ourselves. 
being honest in the in the in that sense for me was I I at that point I I knew so little about the Canadian workforce or the Canadian work environment and I could just not tell myself that because I have a master's degree um, overseas and I've worked overseas then I could also replicate the same experience so I was willing to learn I was willing to have my foot in the door and that customer service job was an opportunity for me mm-hmm. you know I really see openness and humility in your approach to things. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about the culture that you were born into. So I imagine you were born into a particular tribe in Nigeria and certain languages you would have learned. You probably would have had a religious experience. You would have had a social class experience. What of those things that you were born into in Nigeria affected who you are and your sense of self? What would you say stands out for you? Yeah, I could speak of three items. The most important being my family. Like I said, growing up within the environment, within a situation where we you always have to just bond together, think of how to survive each day. That was my opportunity to learn how to be hardworking and also to understand the fact that respect attracts respect. If you want people to respect you, you have to show respect for them too. And the fact that you have to celebrate the uniqueness in others, uh, when you do, others will also celebrate the uniqueness in you. The other thing that also helped me become who I am today is religion. I was raised a Christian, and as part of the principles or the tenets of the Christian faith is to believe in God and establish good relationships with others. You know, sometimes people will not treat you well. Sometimes they will not perceive you the right way. But you still have to make all your all, all the efforts you can to live right and live right with others. And part of the Christian faith is also to share with others, which is also being one of the values that I hold strongly today. And also to understand that it's a diverse world. And I always say that there is still a lot that we all have to learn in terms of what is shared in the Bible around diversity, around the importance of culture, around need for leadership, and and the rest of it. And one last point, which has shaped my view and my leadership approach, is growing up in Nigeria in itself. I like to say that Nigeria is such a linguistically diverse nation. Over 500 languages are spoken in that nation. I mean, English is the official language, but you, you could find yourself in situations where you may not be able to understand languages being spoken by others within specific um, communities. So where that leaves you is that it gives you that sense of tolerance. It gives you that sense of humility. It gives you that sense of relationship to know that others matter and, and you do not know it all. And maybe willingness to not understand and to still seek to make a connection because you wouldn't always understand every language that you heard. You'd meet people that didn't speak a language that you could communicate in, but the willingness to wait for that and see if there were ways to communicate or what might be the channels of communication. I'm just guessing, but would that have been part of it? Clearly, clearly, because part of it is, I mean, whichever language we speak, we are first human. There is that understanding or need to relate first at a human level and the way we carry ourselves, the way people perceive us, I think it's so important. And the fact that, like I said, you could find yourself in an environment where you don't even understand the language, but you still need to get around. Sometimes you have to write or you know, you have to use your hand to, to demonstrate what you want and what you're trying to achieve. And, and some other times you are fortunate to find somebody who... Uh, may be able to play that intermediary role between you and the other individual who may not understand your language. Uh, so, yeah, I do agree with you. I think it's sometimes you, you know, you just have to understand that willingness to, to learn, uh, it's, it's an important part of surviving or evolving under such kind of environment. People grow up in a monolingual environment. They just don't understand how important it is to be patient and to desire to communicate with people and to just wait for the opportunity that presents itself. There's so much impatience when people don't know that. But if they've ever had the experience of going somewhere and not understanding anything, not being able to read the script that's used and being really disoriented, they become much more patient and tolerant of other people struggling. Yeah, I was just imagining you trying to speak to people with 500 different languages. (laughs) 
I was just thinking you, you would have developed incredible patience. And then also, I think your belief in God and how that fuels your relationships with other people because you're seeing that your relationships have to be imbued with a divine intent and to see others as being noble because you also have that in your bio and in the way that you speak that having a noble purpose and seeing other human beings as being noble, frequently that comes from people understanding that we're all created in this image of a loving creator. And that gives us a a responsibility to each other that when people don't believe that, I don't think they have the same sense of responsibility. Or they may in good times, but when bad times come around, it might not be so easy to find. Would you say that's true of you? Oh, certainly. We all have to have something that we hand call our purpose on. Our uh, There has to be something higher than us that we live for. And to the point you raised earlier on, when you anchor your life on a supreme being, God in this instance, it helps to build the necessary virtue to relate with others under different circumstances, being patient with others, being tolerant of others, trying to understand the perspective from which others are coming from, trying to understand that even when you have two kids growing up within the same environment, Their realities can be different, what they open themselves up to in terms of what they read, where they go, where they school, what they eat, what they watch. All of that can end up to bring them to a point where their their realities are different. And but ultimately, I believe in in a a supreme being. It's a big factor in helping us to stabilize whatever virtue or value we end up living with and we end up leveraging in terms of relating with others. Hmm. So now let's move to the part of, you know, you had to join cultures in other countries, in, in four continents, in fact, and you had to live there and work there and make transactions with people for various financial services. And over time, exposure to other cultures and other ways of thinking and doing things, it should have some effect on you unless you're close, but you seem to be a very open person. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you have adopted into the way that you do things or the way that you see the world as a result of your exposure to a particular culture outside of your own? Yes, I would say, Marie. Uh, I think I mentioned respect earlier on. I mean, for me, living in this different parts of the world and even here in Canada, meeting people from everywhere, I've learned the value of respect. And leadership for me is about influence. And you cannot truly lead a people you do not respect. If I show disrespect to the people I relate with, they're not going to follow me. They're not going to allow me to influence them with whatever negative value I go around with. So in my different experiences, I've come to understand the need for respect. Everybody wants to be respected. And respect is almost like a currency in terms of transacting with others. So if you can show respect. And the other thing that's also very important, which I've learned over the years, is humility. Every leader is also a follower. When we become proud, when we show discourteous behavior, it can blindside us from important aspects of our relationship and our leadership with others. And that can be costly. So respect and humility for me uh, are two important cultural dimensions that over the years have helped me to really relate well with people from everywhere. I'd say you already had that. And those are not specific to culture because every, every culture has those two virtues in it, although it may be played out differently. However, the virtues are all there. What I'm asking about is, is a specific thing that you adopted into your culture. So I, I, an example that I often uses that I have had a lot of exposure to Iranian culture. And I have a lot of friends who are Persian. And one of the cultural values of Persians is to greet everybody when you walk into the room. And you don't have a conversation with one person until you've greeted everybody. And that is not something I learned as a Canadian. And when I went to other places, I didn't pick it up. But exposure to many Iranian homes and meetings with Iranians taught me how important it is to greet people. I adopted it. And now when I'm in a new situation, I can't actually focus until the greetings have happened. 
And it's not the same greeting as what you would do in Iranian culture. You ask everybody how they are, how's their health, how's their mother, how's their family, you know, is everything okay? And then you move to the next person to do the same thing. So I wouldn't be doing quite that, but I would certainly be doing the greeting and asking questions and inquiring into their well-being first. And I never did that before. So for me, that is a change in cultural behavior. See what I mean? I'm asking if you actually changed any of your cultural behaviors as a result of your exposure to different cultures and contexts. Yeah, thanks for sharing that example uh, to provide more clarity on the question, uh, Marie. One example that comes to mind is going for lunch. You know, raised under the environment where I was raised, lunch is whenever you have it, wherever you have it, whatever you can get for lunch. And in most cases, it's just you and yourself. Uh, or you and your, you know, immediate family and all that. So with my exposure, with moving around the world, I started to understand the importance of going out for group lunch within corporate environment, how that could strengthen your relationship with others that you work with, how that can even help you to discuss important aspects of working together that when you come back to the work environment, it can really open um, additional doors for you in terms of getting things done. So going for lunch with others within my team, um, outside of my team, I would say it's one change I had to uh, make in terms of my cultural evolution. Mm-hmm. That's a really good example. I had a, an experience with a Sierra Leonean family once that I still feel terrible about <laughs> because they invited me to eat. And I thought that meant everybody was going to sit down and eat, but it didn't mean that. It meant that they heaped my plate full of food and it was enough food for the whole family, but they put it all in my plate because I was the guest. I did not know that. So I thought it would be rude if I didn't eat all of it. <laughs> and I was so full and I just I just thought, this is awful. How am I, what, I can't deal with this. It's too much. And why aren't they eating with me? And then later I found out that the other family members did not get anything to eat because they gave all the food to me as the guest, and I should have left some, eaten a little bit and left the rest and said, thank you. That was really great. (laughs) I'm so full now. So there was food for the rest of the family members. And I feel so guilty thinking that I made that whole family go hungry because I didn't know what the cultural norm was. (laughs) But now I pay attention to the, whatever other people are doing. And I watch really carefully. And if I don't know, I go, so should I eat a part of it or all of it? I'd ask a lot of questions now before I actually eat the food. That was a, that actually brings me to one of the other questions I was going to ask you, which is, was there something that happened in your life when you suddenly realized that your way of doing things was not the norm? Like you described the lunch example. I just described the, the family gave me all of their food and I thought I had to eat it all. Um, so that was definitely, a, I realized later on that that was, a, that was a cultural shock experience for me. So can you name a time when you had something like that happen to you? One example that's coming to mind is from the culture that I grew up in. Some of the cultural understanding that you were raised with was if an older person was speaking, and even if he or she was saying was incorrect, or even if that person was to some extent maybe verbally abusive, you couldn't interject that person. Or sometimes when that person was done, you could not raise your hand to share your view. You just let that situation go. You just swept it under the carpet, more or less. I mean, you left the meeting silently and you could go around discussing your displeasure around what was said. You could not necessarily confront this older person in a way to tell them that whatever they said was not correct or whatever they said had an impact on you negatively. You know, with my exposure, with my walking around the world and with my study experience, I started to see that this is not normal. So, I mean, if somebody said something that was not true, if somebody said something that was that could negatively impact you, you have the right to be able to, in a polite way, you have the right to be able to address that issue, you know, and the fact that differences in age should not be a reason why anyone should be silenced or anyone should be abused. So I started to see that cultures that promote silence and cultures that have the tendencies to keep people quiet are cultures that often end up being repressive, cultures that end up being subjugative. So from all of this started coming out of myself, 
telling myself it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to address issues with even much older individuals. It's okay to stop this cycle of verbal abuse. And this is one very important experience for me where I learned that some things are just not normal and they should not be promoted as being normal. Maybe some things are not healthy. They may have become normalized, but they're not healthy. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that something has gone on for years and it's been promoted by certain individuals may not necessarily mean it is right. Uh, we have to look at issues from the context of where we are today as a people, what is right in our time as opposed to what used to be right many years ago. Yeah. You're just making me think of so many things, like what you just said. The same family that I was telling you about where I ate all their food, <laughs> the mother said to me at one point, you know, my, my husband was killed in the war and then she came as a refugee to Canada. So she said, but before he was killed, I was the fourth of his wives. He had four wives and I was the fourth one. And he took turns beating each of us every day. And I was so shocked. I couldn't speak. I said, that's abuse. That's horrible. How could he be so violent to his wives? I mean, I was just beside myself with thinking that every, imagining her being beaten. She was a small woman. I can't. <laughs> And then, you know, that this was a regular occurrence. And she looked at me and she said, I never thought of it as being abuse. I thought that was just the way things were. And it was really interesting because we both had kind of a moment at that point. And she said, now I'm thinking about things differently. And I said, I'm thinking about things differently too. Like it just, it just hit us both at the same time. We both had kind of a hmm <laughs> moment, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we could go on with this for a long time. I have so many questions to ask you, but I'm going to go back to my typical question, which is about psychology. So personality and temperament, you're born with a temperament. And I'm guessing that part of your temperament is the desire to excel, um, which would have been reinforced by your environment as well. So it's sometimes hard to separate temperament from environment, but personality is built out of what you did when the obstacles came along. And when the opportunities came along. So what did you do with both of those things? And that becomes who you are. So what would you say you were born with this temperament? And what would you say you've added on as a result of your experiences and opportunities? You know, I am more of an introvert growing up. However, under certain circumstances, I show up as an extrovert. I'm somebody who is uh, methodical. I like to see myself as a strategic thinker. Uh, so in, in some instances, I take time to talk. I may take time to react. I may take time to act. And when I go back to my years of schooling, especially for my bachelor's degree, it was okay not to speak up as much. As I got into my second degree, as I got into the corporate environment, particularly in Europe and here in Canada, it became apparent to me that being silent could be interpreted as being ignorant yep. or being mm -hmm. unconsigned. And that definitely was not the impression I wanted my colleagues or managers to have of me. So I started working on myself. Uh, I started sharing my views more, raising my hands, actively participating in projects and all that, uh, just to bring myself out of myself to make sure that the personality that I'm reflecting is the exact one that I want and I should be reflecting. You know, I have to bring out aspects of myself, which have always been there, but which have just been, call it unused. Uh, I had to show up more. I had to be present and, and I had to make my, my presence count more. I had to be involved in uh, more and more public speaking, mentoring, volunteering, I had to learn how things work and embrace them rather than just be stuck in my ways and just expect everybody to adopt my way as the way. So I had to work on myself to make sure that my temperament and my personality both do not stand in, the, in my way of becoming who I could become. Hmm. That shows a lot of sensitivity to context and ability to see what seemed to be the norm and then what you needed to do to be a part of it without losing yourself in it. You know, people often say when they move to another country that they feel lost in the new culture. They feel they've lost themselves. Did you feel like you lost yourself in that experience? No, because, I mean, prior to coming to Canada, I, I lived in, in Germany. I mean, I was in Germany for about three years, and I also visited a number of European countries. So I had started working on myself, but Canada really gave me that platform to really just tell myself it was okay to keep working on myself and give me the validation that what I have been doing about myself is the right thing to do. You know, every society has the way it works, and if I have made a decision to be part of this society, then I have to be open to how the society works. The society is bigger than me. I cannot expect the society to change for me. I rather was ready to change 
in order to fit into that society. I think the, the, the challenge that many people face sometimes is they are caught in between. What I mean by that is they are left where they used to be and they are now in a new environment. They are not where they used to always be. And they are also not where they are now. In other words, they are not part of the cultural of their current environment. And they have also not left the culture of where they used to be. At the end of the day, it's almost like being in a limbo. It is. Um, yeah, which at the end of the day, you know, it, it undermines the ability to be themselves. For me, that was not where I wanted to be. So I was willing to make the changes necessary. And I'm still in that process. I'm still, you know, getting better every day. You find, I think, what because you're a reflective person, you find what matters in your culture and focus on that as your grounding. And then the other things are optional as to how much, I mean, you're open to things, but then, and you, you adapt as required. But I think there's kind of a fine line between trying to throw yourself completely into the other culture and staying stuck in the old one. It's more like root in the old one and be open to the experiences of the new one so you can add on to your repertoire seems to me that that's what you're doing. Would you say that's what you're doing or did I get that wrong? Oh, certainly. There are aspects of ourselves that we can never take away. If I've lived 40 years or 30 years of my life in a specific environment, that is 30 years of being molded, 30 years of being framed by all of what is contained in that environment. Now I'm in another environment. I've only spent five years. So you have to think of it in terms of numbers, 30 versus five. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you tell yourself, how much of 30 do I want to let go to embrace the five? Maybe or none. Of, <laughs> maybe you, maybe you don't need to let go of any of it. Do you just build on? I mean, if that's your fa- the build, foundation of the building, why would you take it out? You know, I mean, I completely agree with you. But with every, every building, sometimes we adorn it with flowers. We adorn it with, uh, you know, decorations. We make it look nicer with nice lawns, patios at the back. You know, th- there could be one or two things that may be needed to make that 30 years experience more presentable. Because, I mean, think of it. There could be individuals who may not have been part of that 30 years of my life or 40 years of my life who are now part of my five years. They want to understand where I'm coming from. They want to be able to relate with me based on my previous experience. So I have to be able to make myself open enough. I have to understand what matters to them. I have to be able to modify certain things. Sometimes they are not interested in all of my 40 years. Maybe they're only interested in certain aspects of it. So I think that's where the compromise is made. And, I, and I'm glad you made that, you, you, you struck that chord, which is at being adaptable has always been the rule for me. Look at what the environment requires. Look at what I need to do. And just just make the make the necessary uh, changes as required. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in speaking with you, and I'm really enjoying this interview. I'm just wondering if there's something that you could say. If you know, I'm sure you've been through this many times. Every time you went to a new country, but right now when you're working with people, how do you let them know what's the best way to work with you? What things matter in the way that you work with people that uh, others should know about you? You know, Marie, I share a few thoughts here and there. Uh, usually on Fridays on LinkedIn, I just put a few thoughts on my LinkedIn post. And in one of my recent quotes, I said, if perspective is wrong, objective will be wrong. Interesting. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is when you look at the letter M, M for Murray, you know, depending on where you're looking at it from, the same letter could also appear as W to somebody else. Right. You know, I mean, if you turn it the other way, it's... You know, if you stand in his M, but if you turn it the other way, it's W. You know, for me, it's important that we, whoever I'm relating with, is willing to challenge their perspective. You know, if I have a wrong perspective, if what I think of you is not what you truly are, then whatever I will try to achieve, our level of interaction, our level of relationship may not be right. And, and this also applies to, for example, organizations. If they think of something in the wrong way, whatever the, the goal thereafter will be, whatever the objective will be for them to achieve may not be right. I mean, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to communication and working with others. One thing I always just expect, and I, you know, I challenge myself also on, is that we must be willing to have an open-minded approach to how we relate with others. Because sometimes what we've heard about them, sometimes what we think about them may not be the absolute truth. We must give them the opportunity to express themselves. You know, the culture that I grew up in may not be the culture that the other individual 
has grown up in. So that opportunity for us to be willing to learn, be willing to just know that if we look at things is wrong, we may end up relating or communicating with ourselves in the wrong approach. Incorrect data leads to incorrect decisions. And you only have the data that you have from your own lens of your own life and your own experience. And until you get the data from the other people through their experience, not the way you want them to be, the way they are, the way they want to present themselves, you have incorrect, incomplete data. So you can't make a decision that's going to be accurate. It's impossible because it's incomplete, right? Oh, clearly. And that goes back to the quote that if if our perspective is wrong, whatever we'll try to achieve later, whatever objective we'll try to achieve will be wrong. Yes. It's, it's such a powerful quote and it go back to you every now and then just to remind myself that uh, am I sure I'm having the right perspective here? Am I sure this is the right approach? And at the end of the day, just to be sure that I'm not trying to achieve what in the first instance has not been perceived well, what I could have spent a bit more time to understand before I set myself out to achieve anything. Mm-hmm. So really your approach and that you need in order to be at your best is for the other person to be willing to explore the perspectives around them and to gather information because that's what you're also doing. And um, I think that's really valuable. And if everybody did that, we would have no conflicts or we would have very short-lived conflicts. <laughs> so. Is there anything you would like to promote uh, or this is your spot to say if there's something that you're doing that you would like other people to get their eyes on, what would that be? Yeah, just uh, first and foremost, again, I would like to thank you for this opportunity to have this conversation with you. Uh, and I would also like to thank you for the, uh, for the good work you're doing, bringing the conversation on leadership and culture to the forefront, because I think those are two uh, important elements of our life that, you know, with all of what is going on around the world that we may forget. I'm glad you are the center stage of that, making sure that we pay more attention to the interconnection between cultural evolution and our leadership style. You know, when you think of a country like Canada, or when you think of what immigration has done around the world, people immigrate for different reasons. We are, in my view, at the point where we have to be open to learning more from ourselves. I mean, I always tell my friends, when you look at a country like Canada, you really do not need to travel around the world anymore. If you live in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, for example, or you live in uh, Alberta, or you live in Ontario, you live in Quebec, you look at the level of cultural evolution, cultural diversity that we have, people from everywhere living together peacefully. There is a lot we can learn from ourselves. There's a lot we can learn about our different cultures, our different personalities. And I think there's a lot we can also contribute as a people to the prosperity and success of, of the country Canada. So I, I again, I'm, I'm thankful that the conversation around culture, around leadership is center stage. And it's quite interesting. And I have to share this at this point. Shortly before I came across your podcast and I reached out to you, I started looking into further degree, research degree in the area of leadership and culture. And at some point, I will be sharing some of my thoughts uh, with you, Marie. Very interesting. And I certainly would be interested and open to hearing them. That's great. I'm glad that you're doing that. I just want to ask if there's anything else that you'd like to say. And everything that you uh, sent to me will be put into the show notes so people can always look those things up if they would like to connect with you. But is there anything else you'd like to say before we end our interview today? Yeah, I just would like to encourage um, everybody listening to this podcast to continue to follow this podcast and follow the show. This is a very important podcast. This is the conversation for our time, for our nation, for our world. Uh, There's a lot to learn, and learning empowers us to be true leaders, both for ourselves and uh, the people around us. That's great. I just remembered what I wanted to say, so I'm going to give you another last word. (laughs) What I wanted to say is what you said about you don't need to travel. It's right here. Look at who we've got here and get to know them, and you'll get to know the different cultures. It reminds me of a blog that I read about food waste, and the author who wrote it said, the first thing to do to reduce food waste is to go shopping at home. Go into your pantry, go into your fridge and see what you are not using that you already have that's been right under your nose all along. And we have right under our nose all along this richness of culture, the First Nations people, the Indigenous peoples that have been part of this country for thousands of years. And then all of the richness of the immigrant cultures that have come here and have built this country. And it's right under our noses. 
and maybe we need to go shopping at home first. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, Mary. So now please, please give us the last word. <laughs> yeah, I think again, uh, taking it from where you just left it, I think there is so much we can learn from ourselves. I'm glad you mentioned the opportunity that we have with a country like Canada, the impact that the First Nation community from coast to coast have done. We pay deep respect to everyone uh, who is a First Nation person across the country. I, I personally, I respect, uh, I respect you, and I and I thank you for giving us for those of us who and not originally from Canada. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a part of this nation. We respect your culture. We respect who, who you are. And thank you for being accommodative and thank you for all of what you have done in, in bringing Canada to where it is today. Thank you, Raphael. That was very lovely. And thank you so much for being part of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Again, thank you for having me, Mary. Raphael Adgeboye is an experienced business and risk professional with almost 20 years of knowledge building experience across Africa, Europe, and the Middle East and North America. Born in Nigeria, Raphael learned to value academic accomplishments and being quiet in the presence of others. I loved his explanation, but how moving to different countries has changed his personality and taught him the importance of experience, helping him to find his voice. I hope that my interview with Raphael will also help you to find your voice. Thank you so much for listening to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, and may culture and leadership continue to inspire and guide your day. This podcast would not be possible without the expertise of our Culture and Leadership Connections production team. A big thank you and shout out to Mike Kurlander for audio production and editing, to Malvika Kathpal for the show notes. Bernadette Guadiz for online web and social media management and promotions, Celine Bayogo for design, and Kirsten Hoyer for website and branding. Thank you so much. Are you a big Culture and Leadership Connections podcast fan? Our Patreon platform is the most versatile way to hear podcast episodes, cross-cutting theme discussions, and watch VIP podcast guest videos. You can download the app to your phone and listen wherever you are check out the subscription levels for perks that appeal to you. Feel good about helping us cover podcast production costs while enhancing your listening experience at the same time. Go to patreon.com slash culture and leadership connections. That's spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash culture and leadership connections. <laughs>